Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Grace teaches us to live godly in this present world. Grace teaches us to live by the truth of the gospel, which will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It doesn't bind you up. It sets you free, okay? So between those two schools of thought, like you've got a ditch on this side and a ditch on this side. If you get too far on this side, you fall in the ditch. If you get too far on this side, you fall in the ditch. But you've got to keep it between the ditches. There's a balance. And we believe in the balanced approach to God. Now, we are unapologetically charismatic. We said that from the get-go. That's who we are. But why are we that way? It's because of what the Bible says. Now, Paul got notice by some people that the church in Corinth was in a mess. They, they reported back to him that there was a lot of things going on. I mean, they were having charismania meetings. I mean, it was crazy. People speaking in tongues and, and, and doing all kinds of things. But there was also another thing going on. There was a lot of confusion. You got this group saying this thing. I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I was baptized by him. I was baptized. I was, and all of this stuff. So there was a lot of confusion. So Paul wrote this letter to clear up the confusion. And he said to them, you think that you are mature because you can do all these things in the spirit realm, but you really are not. Why? Because there's so much division and schism between you. He actually said in 1 Corinthians chapter, 10, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. You all say the same thing. To agree is to say the same thing, Right? Yeah, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so in order for that to happen, we all have to believe in the same thing, right? We don't hand out different Bibles when you come in. Now, I have a couple of errant um, translations of the Bible that I have, have tucked away. I never read them. I just have them there so that I can look at them just to see where the errors are. And it's loaded with them. One of them is called the New World Translation. Anybody ever heard of it? It's the one where the, somebody may come to your door and say, do you think the world is in a mess today? Don't you think there's a lot of things going on wrong in the world today? Well, I'm here to straighten it all out for you. And I've got this little Bible that I want to give to you. And it's our very own translation because all other translations are bad. They're all wrong. And we've got it all right because our scholars have gone through the Greek and the Hebrew and they've lined it all up for you. Now, this is the way you are to believe. Again, very cut and dry. And they call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody ever heard of that? And there's another one that they have their own little book, which is in addition to the scriptures, they will actually give you a King James version of the Bible if you call them or if you write to them or if you respond to their ads. They'll give you a Bible, but they will also give you another little book. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Book of Mormon, which is an addendum to the scriptures. 
But what does the Scripture say? The Scriptures say don't add anything to or take anything away from the Scriptures. So they're in error. We call these cults. And there are a lot of them. So it's important that we all believe the same thing and we all understand the same thing, that we're speaking in agreement according to the Word of God. Now, in order for that to happen, we all have to have the Bible as the fundamentals of our belief and believe that the, that the, Bibles are in, that the Bible is inerrant, it's infallible. The Word of God never changes. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 89, Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. What God has spoken and what, God, what we've written down is unchangeable. So what we've got to do then is to not take the Scriptures and line the Scriptures up to fit our way of thinking. But as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that to not be conformed to this world or the patterns or the ideology of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By the washing of the water of the Word. That's how we renew our mind, by the Word of God. So, number one, the number one thing that we are and who we, that we believe is we believe the Bible to be infallible, unchanging, and the eternal Word of God. Amen. Anybody here not believe that? We believe the Bible to be infallible, unchanging, and the eternal Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. In the King James Bible, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given life by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So if we're going to be equipped, we have to equip ourselves in the Word of God. Thus, that's why we have a school called the School of Impact to teach us the scriptures and to use the Bible to train us to do the work of the ministry as it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. So all scriptures inspired. So the Bible is always right in every situation. When is the Bible not right? Never. So does that mean that the ideology and the, the morals and everything that in our world that we have erred away from the scriptures. Does that make it right when we adapt to those principles and that ideology? No. Just because the world says it's okay or just because it's legal in the eyes of man does not make it legal in the eyes of God. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word of God pierces down into our very spirit. I remember, you know, as a child hearing the Word of God, and it was piercing to me. And unfortunately, I grew up in one of those very legalistic churches and had a pastor that loved God. He really did. And he was passionate about what he preached. But he only had like a second grade education so he could only go so far. So his message every week was like a drum. He would beat it into your head that if you don't get right with God, bless God, you're going to go to hell. And it was always hellfire, brimstone. And I remember one time that I had 
Played really hard all day long. I had went outside and played with my friends, and I was so tired when I got back to church that evening. My family would let me go home with one of my friends, and man, we played hard. We climbed trees. We went to caves. We did everything. I came in that evening. I was so tired, and I remember the preacher preaching, if you die and you go to hell, it's going to be dark. Y'all heard this story before, I know, but I got to tell it again. It's going, to, it's going to be dark. You're going to be alone. And you're going to be so full of fear. And I'm listening to him, and I nodded off. Well, we had 11 kids in our family. My father drove a 1951 Chevrolet which you could pack a lot of people in. We've had as many as 17 people in that car. A couple sitting on the hood, hanging out the trunk, 20 miles all the way to church. And so we had a crowd that night. So mom and dad, they gathered everybody up, got them in the car, and they headed for home. Well, unbeknownst to me, everybody was gone, and I woke up. And when I woke up, guess what? It was dark. I was alone. And I was scared because there was nobody there. And I thought I'd died and gone to hell. I was just waiting for the fire. And I looked around, and it was pitch dark in that old church, and it was at the back end of a dirt road. I mean, off of a secondary road. Bat Cave Church of God, way back in the woods. And I woke up, and all I could think was, oh, God, I've been left behind. Everybody got raptured, and I'm left. <laughs> so I jumped up, and I ran for where I thought the light was, and I found the light switch, and I turned it on, and it came on. I said, oh, thank you, God. I had another chance because the light came on. <laughs> but I was still alone. And I opened the front door, and I thought, man, i got to make a break for it. But I had heard tales that there was a bear in the area that had killed several dogs and they hadn't caught it yet. And so I'm thinking, if I go out that front door, that bear's going to get me. I said, but he's going to have to catch me first. So I took off that, out that door and I think I broke the five-minute mile easily. I mean, just as hard as I could charge up that road and there was a family that lived in the church at the end of that dirt road before you got onto the, to the main highway there. And I ran to their house, and I knocked on the door. And they came to the door. Thank God they came to the door. And when they opened up the door, the wife was on the phone with my dad. They had stopped at a service station on the way home because halfway down the mountain from where they were driving, they realized, they took inventory, they realized one was missing, and of course that was me. So they came back and got me, so I, I escaped that night. But you know what? It really left an imprint on me. Later on, it's like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. And, and God put a fear in my heart. I wish they would have stuck a little bit more to the degree that it needed to in my heart. But you know what? It was always there. The seed was always there. Even during the time I was rebellious and away from God, it was always there. So we all agree on this basic fact. When we need correction or reproof, we don't fight against it because we know that if we violate Scripture, then coming back in line with, the, with what the Scripture teaches us is the only way to be right with God. So in order to be right with God, you have to line up with the Word, not try to get the, line, the Word to line up with us. Paul went on to instruct Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
verses one through four in the New, a New Living Translation, it says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach what? Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. A lot of, once, one translation says, or sound doctrine. For a time will come when people will no longer listen to sound or wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Wow. They will reject the truth and chase after myths or made-up nonsense, basically. And is that not happening today? Are we not living in those times when there's been a, an, an assault on the scriptures, the truths of God? There have even been translations of the Bible been made that have just so far off base, just in order to appease certain groups of people. That's errancy of the scripture. So we believe what the Bible says. We believe that the preaching of, of the Word of God is necessary for producing faith that leads a person to salvation and a relationship with the one true God. Who is the one true God? Jehovah. Jehovah God is the one true God. And Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 17 says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And the message is the very message that we preach. If you confess, confess what? that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As Scripture tells us. What tells us that? Scripture tells us that. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile alike are, in this, are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing and hearing what? The good news about Christ. Hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. And that word, that word, their word, or faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the message of God is the word rhema. When God causes his word that's been planted into our heart to come alive, we get a revelation of who God is. God quickens our spirit. Then we, we, we confess our sins and we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and we declare him to be the master of our life. That's what it's talking about. So scripture is the very foundation and the fabric of what we believe and practice. Here's a statement that's very true. God's word does not change but it changes us. God's word doesn't change, but it changes us. Listen, you can come into this congregation. I don't care. You can come warts and all. I don't care how you are. Whosoever will may come. But if you sit under the teaching of the word of God very long, change is going to begin to take place in your life. Either you're going to submit to the authority of God and the word of God, or you're going to rebel against it. And when you rebel against it, it says in the word that God resists the proud, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we're too proud to accept the word of God and to align ourselves to it, then we're not rejecting the one who preaches the word. We're rejecting the one who sent the word. 
We're rejecting God himself. So we realize that not everybody accepts and clings to the fact of the inerrancy of Scripture, and there are a lot of religious organizations that have diluted the truth of God's Word in order, in an attempt to align with the culture around us. But we will not continue. We, but we will not, but we will continue to change the culture around us by aligning ourselves with the truth of the Scriptures. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse, verse 1. It says, now the Holy Spirit, I say the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. And there's a lot of that. Too much of that. Where people will go and they will sit under that teaching because it appeases them. They don't have to change. They don't have to confess their sins. They don't have to do nothing except show up, give their tithe, and go home. That's basically all that's required of them. But God requires more of us than that. Paul says, I beg of you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that you do what? That you, don't be, that you don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Allowing God to change us by his Holy Spirit. There are, there are a lot of modern teachings that have entered into error and are leading multitudes into sin and destruction. And one of the doctrines that we hear so much of is the doctrine of tolerance. We are called, if you are a person who truly believes what the Scripture says, and if you align yourself to it and walk in it, you become intolerant in the eyes of society. Because there are certain things that we will not tolerate. The Scripture doesn't tolerate it, okay? The Scripture does not tolerate sexual sin. It doesn't tolerate adultery. It doesn't tolerate homosexuality. It doesn't tolerate shacking up. It doesn't tolerate any sexual sin that you do. You do it against your own body. You're violating your very own temple. And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Get that in your brain. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures tell us that his spirit will not dwell in an unclean temple. And when we align ourselves to someone in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, we defile the temple of God. Got it? No exceptions. The Bible doesn't say, oh, we have a loving, caring relationship. We're committed to one another, but you're not married. The Bible says marriage is honorable and the bed is no longer defiled. So the only true relationship in a sexual union that God blesses is one that's within the confines and the boundaries of marriage. All right? Some of you may not like it, but hey, I didn't write the Bible. I just aligned myself to it. I'm just saying what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says don't let any homosexual or adulterer or idolater or covetous person think that they will enter into the kingdom of God. So don't fool yourself into thinking that you're okay when you're not. And I'm not going to be the one who will tell you that you are when you're not. I want to tell you the truth. I want to look you right in the eyes and tell you the truth. Okay? So you have opportunity for change. We all do. 
Amen? And a lot of the folks that, that have these erroneous teachings will always go, have their go-to scripture, just like the devil did when he tempted Jesus. They'll have their go-to scripture. And the number one scripture they always love to quote is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest ye also be judged. <laughs> judge not. Don't you judge me. You can't judge me. Listen, the Bible tells us something very different. Paul had a situation in the Corinthian church. He was dressing a lot of things in that church, and there was one very, very serious thing going on. In chapter 5, there was a man in the church. I don't know if he was in leadership or not, but he was a member of that congregation. They ate with him. They fellowshiped with him. And they were basically overlooking his sin which was he was in an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. Now, I don't know if it, that was with his mother or with his a father's additional wife or I don't know the situation. All I know is that according to Leviticus, we're not to have relationships with our father's wife. But he was in a relationship with his father's wife, a sexual relationship, very openly. And Paul says, you have to deal with this. He says, because if you don't, his sin becomes like yeast in a ball of dough. It'll spread throughout the body. It will. He says, so you've got to deal with it. Well, how do we deal with it? He says, here's what you do. You give him opportunity to repent. If he doesn't repent, then you are to basically kick him out of the church for what purpose? Just so you idiot, get out of here. We don't like your kind around here. Not because of that, so that he will, his, his, it says, I think in the King James Bible, it says so that his flesh will be destroyed for the destruction of the flesh and for the salvation of the soul. What does that mean? For the destruction of his sexual appetite so that his soul will be saved in the end. We're more concerned about the person's soul than we are. It's like someone said, God is more concerned about your character than he is about your comfort. Okay? It's a very difficult thing to do. But he tells the body to judge the situation. And he goes on. Let me read what he says here. This is, this is crazy. It says, throw that man out. He says, call a meeting of the church. Throw that man out. Turn him over to Satan that his sinful nature will be destroyed. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Then in verse 9 he says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers. We can be so sanctimonious at times, can't we? We'll put up with stuff inside the body, but we won't hang around with them sinners outside the church. Uh-uh, no way, baby. But we will tolerate a person who calls himself a believer. And he goes on. He said, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I mean that you're not to associate with anyone who does what? Claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin. Either say amen or ouch. Or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Come on, saints. If you cheat your brother out of something, you're just as bad as an immoral person who's in sexual sin. You're just as much a scoundrel. 
So listen, how are we to judge these things? He says, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. The Bible says that. Is that in the Bible? Well, yes, it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. And then it says, God will judge those on the outside, but the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. We don't do a lot of that this day. We don't take the roll call and say, hey, let me check you out at the door and see if you're good enough to come here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about overt sin that is going on in the church body, and we just ignore it. As believers, we are called upon to call our brothers and sisters to, into account. Now, here's how we do it, okay, in a loving way. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if you see someone overtaken in a sin, here's what you're to do. You who are spiritual. Now, you might say, oh, that would be the elders of the church. They're the spiritual ones. No. You who have the Spirit of God within you. You who are a spiritual person, who have the Spirit of God living in you, you're a born-again person. You have a responsibility to your brother to do what? If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you are spiritual. To go to them and do what? Restore such a one. Restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness. But be careful so that you don't also become tempted. And so... In doing so, you will fulfill the royal law of love. Wow. If we love somebody enough, we won't feel bad about challenging them if we see them living in sin because they are headed for destruction and hurt. If we love them, we're not going to just bless them and let them go on. Well, bless your heart. You go on and just, you know, God will judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Hey, that's foolishness. But if we are a saint who is in sin and someone comes to us, if we resist them and we resist the rebuke, the general rebuke of the Word of God, you know who we're resisting, don't you? Submit yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God. Draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to you. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves to one another and we walk in humility with one another, we give people the license to speak into our lives. We give them the license. Brother, if you see me overtaken in a fault, if that fault be backbiting, if that fault be gossip, if that fault be living in sexual sin, if I'm headed in that direction, if you see me living that way, I want you to know that you have not only the right, you have my blessing to say, Pastor, you're headed in a wrong direction. But in the same respect, you should say to me, Pastor, if you see me headed in that direction, I want you to speak into my life. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews to honor those who have the authority over us in the Lord and to obey them or to submit to them before, because it is they that have to do what? Not just give an account for themselves, but they have to give an account to God for your souls. That's why it's so important that you 
allow the pastors to be able to speak into your life because that's what a pastor is for. To teach us and help us. And, but how do we do it? We do it with the Word of God. Not any other way. But only through the Scripture. So the Bible is our foundation. It's, it's, the, it's the, 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 the manual that we use for everything that pertains to the church. Nothing else. It's the very foundation of what we believe and who we are. So if you want to know who we are and what we believe, when we say we believe the Bible, we believe it. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.